Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that sounds, you've got something. You can hear me, whether you'll want to be hearing me. Might be a different question, but uh, hopefully not. Um, let's just start off with a, a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom and privilege it is to be able to be in a country where we can talk about you and we can think about you and we can sing to you and we don't have to do it shyly, we can do it proudly. Uh, we thank you for that and we ask that you'll refresh us uh, this evening with your word, we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask the two guys at the back to hand out some vials for you, little plastic vials. Um, if you'd just take one and hold on to it for the moment, please, it shall become clear later, although those of you with a slightly more kinesthetic way of thinking might just want to fiddle with it, feel free. Uh, as we go through this evening, it will make a bit more sense. Two weeks ago, we were in Philippians. We were thinking about talking to God. Last week, Nigel got us thinking about the church family, the unity that we have in him. Tonight is all about sharing the relationship that we have with him and introducing others to God. So as we heard earlier, our passage is Colossians. So Colossae, it's about 120 miles east of Ephesus, where last week's letter was written to. It's in what is now Turkey, just to give you a bit of context. And as we heard, in the NIV, this rather short passage at the end of the letter has a somewhat unremarkable heading, Further Instructions. It's not actually this miscellaneous medley, this kind of stuff that I couldn't fit into the main body of the thesis, so I'll bung it in an appendix, as I frequently did when I was studying. But it's actually something that's much more coherent than that. These are further ways in which the recipients can set their minds on things above. This is going back to chapter 3, verse 2. And they can practically demonstrate what it means to be servants in Christ. Already addressed have been things like sexual immorality, malice, and bad language. They've been, they've been encouraged to be compassionate, forgiving, thankful, and Christ-focused. We've covered instructions for various people in Christian households. Husbands, wives, fathers, servants, and masters. And there is some significance to the fact that this particular bit comes straight after those instructions. But... Tonight, I'm going to focus on the broader application. Colossians was either written directly by Paul or by a follower of his, possibly Timothy, writing under Paul's direction. And we know that Timothy, from chapter 1, verse 1, was involved in the composition of this letter. But in either case, our passage tonight emphasizes the concern that these early church leaders had for outsiders. They weren't to be feared or defended against, but reached out to. Everyone should hear about Christ's death and resurrection and the resultant forgiveness, freedom and power afforded to those who know that they have fallen short of God's standards and yet confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. And when we really get that, we should really be wanting to tell everyone and how we do that, well, this passage tells us that it goes alongside a healthy prayer life. Spelt out for us in verses 2 to 4 are three characteristics of a healthy prayer life. Firstly, we should be devoted. 
This uses a term from, from the root in Greek, proskartereo, which literally means to be persistent in prayer, to fight down the things that stop you from having a regular, deep, quality time in prayer. The second thing that's mentioned here is that we should be watchful. Now, this could be simply about being alert and sensitive to what's going on, or some commentators debate as to whether it's being watchful because we don't know when Christ will return, thinking about Matthew chapters 24 and 25. But again, either way doesn't matter too much because it should be that we are being alert and sensitive to the fact that God is in action. And truth is, any way you cut it, we have limited time and opportunities to share the gospel with those around us. The third thing that it mentions in 2 to 4 uh, is our thanksgiving. We should be thankful. Those of you who are here two weeks ago, that's what we heard about in Philippians. Thankfulness in prayer is expectant of answers, and it also acknowledges that true salvation comes only from God's grace. In verse 3, there's a a wonderful request for prayer. So if you don't have the passage open, please, by all means, uh, do turn back to it. In verse 3, there's a request for prayer that God may open a door to our message. Now, Paul was a prisoner in Rome for telling people about Jesus, and the author might have been uh, making a reference here to Paul's prison door being opened, that he could continue the message. But perhaps just as, if not more likely, he's getting at the opportunities that God gives us to engage with others about Jesus. Again, either way, and you'll get that a lot, either way, whether we sit on various sides of the debates that go along with things about this passage, it is a call to pray for each other in witnessing about Jesus. And his verse 4 request, I find particularly interesting, uh, this is the request that he would be able to speak clearly. This is something we should all pray. I admit I am slightly biased on this. I am a lecturer in speech and language therapy. I spend a lot of my time telling people how to train people to be able to speak clearly. Um, But actually, this is something that goes whoever we are. We should be praying that we speak clearly, particularly when we are talking about our Lord and Saviour. Paul wants to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And this is explained in chapter 1, verse 27, and also wonderfully, as Graham Kendrick used it in the hymn, Rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in you. Okay, one person, thank you, well done. That's, uh, that's, you can engage, this isn't completely... Um... <laughs> yes, rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in you. The hope of glory in our hearts. The fact that the one who gave his life up for us now seeks to live in us that we might spend eternity with him. Whether we are Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference anymore. Christ wants to be in us. It's an amazing, amazing fact. Revelation 3.20 goes on with this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. It's an amazing mystery of Christ. In verse 5, and this is where we're getting to the nub of what we're going to be thinking about tonight, that the church is encouraged to think about its interaction with outsiders and be wise in relation to this. Again, it links back to chapter 1, where the author says that part of the prayer for the church that they have is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this falls into that walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. The word that's translated wisdom in verse 5 is Sophia. It's a bit of a long shot. Anyone called Sophia in the room? It is indeed, Eugene, absolutely. Bulgaria's capital is Sophia, yes. Um, And actually, Sophia, it's it's, it's a beautiful name. It means wisdom, clarity. It's the root of the English words sophistication and philosophy. It's saying, well, don't corrupt or alter the message, but also don't damage listeners by putting them off for good. Who are the outsiders that it refers to? Well, most obviously, in a sense, it's the non-Christians. But it's also potentially aimed at those who have been led astray through false teaching. We should also be really wary of hypocrisy here. And we should guard our testimony. I'm sure we can think of many people who've been dissuaded from investigating Christ further because other Christians have failed to live up to their very dogmatically stated opinions. We should be living testament to the fact that God's grace makes a difference to how we live and behave. We can't neglect or gossip about people on the one hand and then expect them to come to church with us the next day. We also can't fiddle our taxes or be the world's most aggressive driver and expect that it won't affect the effectiveness of our testimony. Similarly, when we think about this particular verse, the ESV's translation of walk in wisdom is perhaps a little bit better than the, uh, than the version we heard tonight, which uses the word act. Because there's no pretending here. It's not act it, even though deep down inside it's different. Walk in wisdom. The Greek word for walk, peripateo, it's viewed kind of as an idiom to mean to conduct one's life. I actually prefer how the New Living Translation puts this. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers. And to live wisely among those who are not believers does mean that we've got to engage with them and not hide away. What does the wise behaviour look like? Well, it makes the most of every opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And it's the watchful prayer that helps us become and remain sensitive to that. Again, going back to the the Greek for making the most of, it more literally means to redeem, to buy, to effectively purchase our precious and limited time for that grand purpose. We only have 1,440 minutes every single day. What are we purchasing our time for? This is what we're being encouraged to do, purchase our time for that grand purpose of telling people about Jesus. Moreover, in verse 6, we're told to engage in conversation that is maxed out with grace and seasoned with salt. By grace, we're thinking here about sweetness, loveliness, that we make our conversation pleasant and enjoyable rather than bitter and confrontational. This might also be linked to divine grace. In the previous chapter, chapter 3, the the church in Colossae was told to clothe themselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, to make allowance for each other's faults, to forgive anyone that offended them. As the Lord forgives us, so we're to forgive 
others. And it's right there in the Lord's Prayer. Forget about being self-righteous or judgmental or condemning. We are to hold firm to the truth of the gospel. But we have been saved by grace, and it is grace that should be at the forefront of our minds when we converse with others. This grace that the author's talking about is expanded on in the phrase seasoned with salt. The commentator John Phillips talks about how salt does three different things. The first thing it does is to add a tang, makes it interesting, more than just palatable. It's what the New Living Translation says, attractive, make our talk attractive. The second thing it does is oppose corruption and decay. And that should be an encouragement for us to think about whether our language is consistently wholesome. The third thing it does is create thirst. That it should make people thirsty, as salt does, but this time making thirsty people, thirsty people for the water of life that is the Holy Spirit. Grace is that salt. Now, it's important to know here, the presentation of the message is not the same thing as the message itself. But it's certainly not making the most of every opportunity if we present it badly. If I'm embarrassed to talk about Christ, such that every time I mention his name, I mumble and I I look weak. Or if I'm kind of the opposite of that, aggressive, argumentative, always seeking for an argument. Or equally, if I just sound fake by using language that isn't mine. If you're a Christian here tonight, your story about what you believe and what he's done in your life is your story to tell. And that's what's going to show people who Jesus really is. With that comes a responsibility to know our scriptures, to know God so that we can know how to answer each person. And with wisdom, we will know whether it's appropriate to let the matter rest, uh, looking here back at Proverbs 26.4, or whether to engage and respond, as in Proverbs 26.5. Sometimes it's appropriate to do one, sometimes the other. It's reiterated in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. We don't need to defend God. A wonderful evangelist by the name of Liam Parker uh, frequently says, trying to defend God is like trying to defend a lion. We don't need to defend him. But we should be ready to respond to questions and challenges with grace and salt. If you want some really simple, practical steps in sharing that relationship that defines us, come and talk to to Will or myself afterwards, or uh, talk to some of the small group runners, because uh, they've been running a series of notes written by Lewis Jarrett, and uh, several small groups have been using those. Now, it might just be that it starts by answering the question tomorrow morning, what did you do with your weekend? By mentioning the fact that you were at church today or listening to a particular podcast, or inviting someone to a Christmas service, or by praying with someone. There are many, many excuses that we have and we give for not doing it, but there are some pretty big questions to be answered. 
The first one. Do I get it? Do I realize just how life-changing the message of Jesus Christ really is? And the second one is, do I care enough? We may worry about ruining friendships, but all friendships are temporary unless they are eternal. All relationships are temporary unless they are eternal. And if we truly believe that their eternity is at stake, the gamble has to be worth it. We have the cure. The gospel is the cure for what ails our world. But do we care enough to share it? There are serious, serious consequences to us not doing it. And that's the reality. Imagine, if you will, two friends. And who can say, or just why this happened? They've been friends almost all of their lives. Sharing all that they had, no matter the cost. But one chose to be selfish this time. You see, the other contracted a sickness. All the doctors just threw up their hands. His life was slipping away, but his friend just stood by, like a spectator up in the stands. What was crazy was he had the answer to remove all his brother's disease. But he folded his arms, talked of old times, while his best friend died without peace. You see, he'd also been sick earlier. To the sickness he'd become a slave, but one came to his aid with solutions in hand. He was rescued from the sting of the grave. In the first month, he told all his buddies of the wonderful cure he had found. But it became routine, and few shared his joy. Soon his excitement made less of a sound. Well, he realised more people were dying from the plague for which he had the cure. But he wasn't a salesman, and they'd think he imposed and they've probably seen it before. Well, he's keeping the cure in his pocket, so afraid that a little might spill. Well, he's sure glad he's got it, but he's too busy to share, and at least he won't die like they will. He's keeping the cure in his pocket. Sadly, those lyrics from Band Everybody Duck remind us of the implications, the consequences of what happens when we don't share it, and how poor our excuses really are for not doing it. It should bother us when we let opportunities pass us by. But I want to take the rest of this evening, just the last few minutes, to think about the other side of the coin. Not so much the consequences of not doing it, serious as they are, but think about what can happen when we do do it. Even if there's no big conversion that immediately appears to jump as a result. The wonderful magician Penn Gillette of Penn & Teller fame is also very well known for his atheist beliefs. But he did a vlog of someone who cared enough to share the cure. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, 
the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh... How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of 
goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. That Christian that Penn talked about demonstrated so much of what we've been thinking about this evening. He wasn't confrontational, but he was confident. He wasn't defensive. He didn't use a lot of words to argue his point. He just cared enough to share the cure, to share the gospel by handing over a book. And it made such an impact. Penn was presented with the truth, and it made him think. Now, some won't appreciate it. Some won't agree with us. Some, of, some may not even respond in the, any sort of way that we would hope. But the crucial thing is that the next one might. And we don't know who is and who isn't going to respond in the way that we would hope. It takes wisdom through the Holy Spirit to know when and how to address it. And it's going to look different for each of us as to how we do it. If you're more extroverted, it might look in one way. If you're more of an introvert, believe it or not, like me, then actually it could look quite different. But we should give everyone the opportunity to hear about it and make their decision. Whether it's friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, employees, thinking about the fact that this came immediately after those instructions to those households. Our ultimate driving force behind telling others about Jesus Christ is that our Saviour himself told us to. Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20, the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. But how often do we, do we donate to missionary organizations and yet actually neglect some of those closest to us? It's not about getting people in a club. Often that's a, the, the charge leveled at a lot of Christians. You just want to get people in the club. It's not about that. It's about saying that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and I want you to know him too. The Bible is so clear that there are those within and those without. There's no grey area, but there's no exclusion criteria either. In a world where people have no hope or are putting their hope in things that will absolutely cease, or think of God only for his judgment and not for that incredible grace. This is the cure. Our earthly bodies will cease, but we don't believe it ends there. If you want that eternal cure and you don't yet have it, please come and see myself or Will at the end and don't leave without it. If you've got it, keep hold of it this week. As a little reminder, by all means, don't keep it in your pocket. Let's share it. Let's do it together. Let's do it right. Let's just pray as we finish. Father, I just thank you so much for the fact that you cared enough to save a sinner like me. That you cared enough to give your son, to die on that cross, that through your power you raised him, and that through him you have given me the opportunity to have an eternity with you. We thank you for your forgiveness tonight, Father. We thank you for what you have done for us. 
Give us the confidence, we pray, to go out into this world and demonstrate your love, your grace, with grace and salt in how we talk to people, in how we act towards people. Bless us this week and guide us towards making those absolute most of all those opportunities you present us with. Amen.